The title of this morning's message is, Are You For Me or Against Me? Are you for me? Are you for me or against me? Where's the water? <laughs> it's like, it's not there. All right, so at least we're in Matthew chapter 12. And if my lips stick together, um, it's okay. We'll be all right. We'll get through it. All right, so Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to be going through uh, verses 22 through 37. Um, The Pharisees basically at this point continue to attempt not only to catch Jesus in some kind of a contradiction, uh, but just in in an outright lie. And so what we're going to do to start out, we're going to read what we're going to study. And so as we've been doing, and I'd like to continue doing, let's all come to our feet And we're going to pray the passage that we're studying this morning. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul that the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing, that, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore... They will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Father, we desire to look at this section of scripture father in the same manner in which you intended for it to go forth lord we know that you wish that none should perish but that all should come to repentance and i pray father it's in that spirit that we study these verses father that we look at your words understanding that there is life in your words there's life in the spirit and you desire not that we would perish but that we would live an abundant life in Jesus Christ, abiding in him. Lord, it was no different in that day as it is today. 
Lord, you rebuked the Pharisees not because you wanted to see them condemned, but that you wanted to see them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would not harden our hearts to not hear and receive what the Spirit has to say to us this morning, but that we would be open. And Lord, that we would be receptive to the good word that you have for each and every one of us. We ask, Lord, that you would move mightily and you would do a special and mighty work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So, you know, as we've read and we've come to see here, again, as I started out, the Pharisees continue to attempt to trap Jesus and the things that he is saying, kind of just asking him questions that pertain to the law and how it is that his actions or the actions of his disciples match up to the law. They're making every attempt to diminish him in the eyes of the people is what they're doing. It's interesting that this is what some people spend their time doing today, making every attempt at catching Jesus in some kind of contradiction and diminish his power and claims before the world all the time, really, at the core of those attempts is to elevate themselves, their own knowledge, who they are. This is actually what the Pharisees were doing. But Jesus takes his time to explain some pretty basic principles of thought. He explains things to the religious leaders, but then Jesus makes it very clear that they are in danger of committing the unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I want to make it very clear that as we go through this study, I know that many times within the church, there are those who, at some point or another, are worried that they themselves have committed this unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn exactly what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is and what it is not. And I pray that you would, with that realization, understand that the unpardonable sin is to deny the work of the Holy Spirit, to harden our hearts and to deny who Jesus Christ is. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we continue on. But one thing is for sure, if Jesus did not care for all people, even the Pharisees, he would not have taken the time to confront them regarding these issues. But these things are written for our own benefit, warning, and blessing. God's heart toward us is demonstrated in a relentless, loving pursuit that held nothing back and never will. I mean, this morning, we celebrated communion. That's what We come to the table and we're celebrating a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with Him, and through Him, He made possible with the Father. And so it's for that reason that we also can celebrate in knowing a true and genuine relationship that He first initiated with us. And he pursues us with that love. You see, what draws us to the Lord is not all these uh, you know, things that we have violated, all these laws and all of these rules. It's actually the love of God that he has demonstrated to us that draws us unto himself. His grace and his mercy. 
He desires mercy over justice, and he demonstrated that on the cross. Remember that the blameless took upon himself that which he did not deserve, nor was he guilty of for everyone else, every single one of us that were guilty. That's why we know in the word, and that's how we know his heart, that he desires mercy over justice. You see, justice wasn't for the blameless to take our sin upon himself. That's why I point to him and say, there's power in the cross. He took it upon himself and demonstrated to us his love. Justice over, or mercy over justice. So he pursues us with that love. And what he desires above all is reconciliation. Hearts that are bent toward him because of that love. And so we come to the first section, which the bottom line is, are you with me or against me? That's what Jesus had asked the, the uh, Pharisees if they were either for him or against them. Remember that that's still the question today. Verse 22, as we once again through, go through this section, it says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. Now, we know previously in Matthew chapter 9, we have a similar situation. Only that man was not blind, but he was mute. He cast out the demon and he was able to speak. And so this is another situation sometime later, and we see something similar, a similar interaction between him and the Pharisees. So he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul that the prince of demons that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. So Jesus had taught on the Sabbath leading up to this point. He had taught on the Sabbath, correcting the Pharisees' view on how to observe it. They thought a man was made for the Sabbath when actually Sabbath, as Jesus was very clear in teaching, the Sabbath was made for man. And the Sabbath rest that was known as a day in the Old Testament is actually fulfilled and known in the person of Jesus Christ today. In fact, leading up to that, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, God did not rest on the seventh day because he was tired. He rested because... That was the day in which he ceased. He stopped all the work. It was complete. It was done. There was no more work to be done. Jesus had also come that all of the work, all of the labor, all of the burdens of the law would be taken care of in Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, to tell us die, it is finished. That means it is paid for in full. 
It was a legal transaction that was known in that moment when he paid for all of our sins. It's at that moment that we rested in Christ of all of our works, the burden of the law upon us as we confess Jesus as Lord and as Savior, asking for forgiveness and receiving that forgiveness by grace through faith. He had taught about that. Right after he made that statement, come to me all who labor and are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is found in him. Jesus had also been confronted by the Pharisees with a question regarding healing on the Sabbath specifically pointing to a man with a withered hand. You remember, we just went over that last week. And they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They thought a man was committing sin if he performed a healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered emphatically, stating that a human being, a person, is of greater value than a sheep that they would be willing to save from a pit that it fell into on the Sabbath. And he turned immediately and healed that man, and the man's hand was made whole. To the Pharisees, Jesus was doing things contrary to the law. But the Bible says that he was blameless. How can that be? Is that a contradiction? Because if that's true, then Jesus was guilty of sin. But he was not. He was blameless. He is without sin. So, if the physical non-observance of the Sabbath was sin, then how can Jesus at the same time be sinless? That's a question that we need to reconcile. I would have to conclude then that the Pharisees were wrong in the way they interpreted the Sabbath and missed the point that the rest Jesus spoke of was fulfilled in him, according to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. So what we have before us after Jesus withdrew himself from that group of Pharisees is another situation where the people brought to him a man who was demon-possessed. Blind and mute was the way this demon possession was expressed. We read here that Jesus healed this man. This man, now after he had been healed, could both see and speak, demonstrating that Jesus had power over the, the, the demon that possessed this man, and he cast him out. The Pharisees tried to minimize Jesus' authority over the demon over the work that Jesus did with this casting out of the demon and dismissed this basically as a satanic act. And that's what they accused Jesus of. This is, this is none other than a satanic act that you did. Of which Jesus quickly pointed out that their premise upon which they made this conclusion was false. It was faulty. It was false. It was made out of ignorance. But this was all in thought. They didn't, they didn't actually speak it. If you notice, they, they didn't say it. They didn't say, hey, he casts out in the name of Satan. That's by the power of Satan. That's, that's how he casts out. No, no, no. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them. And he 
corrected their way of thinking. I always pray that that's what the Lord does with us. You know, that as we read his word and, and as we come to a better understanding of his word, that when some thoughts come about in our own minds, that we allow him to correct those thoughts. And Jesus was very clearly and very directly, I, I could just imagine their amazement. You know, the Pharisees were thinking this, and he quickly addresses them. It's like, wow, dude, this is a trip. He like, he can read my thoughts? That's amazing. I mean, we need to, like, realize, as we read through Scripture, through scripture we just kind of read it, and we're like, yeah, 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 you know, it's all there. But we need to, like, kind of think, think about it in context. You know, what's the situation? What was it like at that point? I mean, are you realizing what's going on here? Jesus is addressing their thoughts. That, to me, is absolutely amazing. When conviction comes upon you, don't think for a moment that this is not exactly what's going on with you. He is giving you an understanding that what is going on in your thought world is not right. And he's trying to speak to you. It would do us well to pay attention and to listen to the words of the Lord. So this was all in thought. Jesus knew their thoughts. I'm sure they were amazed when Jesus addressed their thoughts. It served to demonstrate basically Jesus' power, and it revealed his heart too. Jesus was pointing out that they made no sense. Really, is I love the way he addresses people because it's like, you're making no sense, okay? How is it that Satan seeks to go against himself and cast out his own demons from the people he seeks to destroy? Is basically what he's telling them. Number one, a kingdom or a people who are in fighting will undermine themselves and it'll fall apart. Right? Does that, that seem like we're going along a logical route here? We understand that uh, in fighting a group that's at odds with each other, it's not going to stand. It's all going to fall apart, right? It's self-destructive. The kingdom will not stand. Jesus was explaining to them something they needed to think about. Satan is the destroyer and seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But he doesn't want to destroy his own goals. He didn't want to do that. It's like, he, he was deaf and mute. He couldn't do anything. And then Satan wants to make him a well so that he can, what, speak of Jesus? Tell others that he sees now who Jesus is? No, that's the last thing that Satan wants to do. Plus, as Jesus went a little further with the Pharisees, if they were accusing Jesus of casting out the demons by the power of Satan, hey, then by what power are your Jewish exorcists uh, casting out demons? Is it by the same power? And the answer, of course, is no. It's not, right? So I, that's why I, I love how it is that in Christianity, as Jesus is addressing these Pharisees, it's something that if there's, there's no, hey, listen, this is all circular thinking here. It's coming right back to you. Does this even make sense, what you're thinking? The answer is, of course, no. Jesus was pointing out in verse 28 that he was operating under the power of the Holy Spirit, even though he had sovereign power of his own. 
Jesus being the second person in the Trinity, the Godhead, Jesus is the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So he had power all in and of himself, and yet he was operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that he also knew their thoughts initially by the gifting that the Holy Spirit had given Jesus of knowledge. That, that's what he had submitted to by the will of the Father. Jesus was pointing out in verse 29 that he had power over the demons to bind the strong man, the strong man, and the authority over Satan's power. And this is just one example of many that should serve to help us understand that Satan is no match for God. Satan is absolutely no match for God. I believe that today we give too much credit to Satan. It's like, oh, it's, it's the devil. He's doing this or he's doing that in my life. I think many times it's our own doing. Or it's just because we live in a fallen world. I think, listen, Satan is not omnipresent. Okay, He's only in one place and... I'm sorry, we're, I, I believe that we're too little in the spiritual kingdom for him to focus on us. Like, me. Like, really, Satan? That means that there, there are, like, really big things that are going on, right? Those little demons. But sometimes, you know what? A lot of times it's our flesh. It's just the world in which we live in. And you know what? Let's man up. Let's woman up. Let's stand fast in the truth of God's word, and let's continue to move forward in the name of the Lord, glorifying him. Because Satan is no match for God. And in God's word, Satan is sent running. We have the word right in front of us. We have it right in front of us. And we know the word. We live the word. We know that we're living in the power of the word by the Holy Spirit. This is why for me, and it should be for you, I, I, don't, I don't fear Satan and what he can do. He, he may be able to, truly, he can kill this body. I honestly, and this is, this is my own thinking, I actually believe what the Word says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? That, God can use anything, even, even a situation where he allows someone to die for his glory. I just have this weird way of thinking. But I would be present with the Lord. I, I, actually, I actually welcome that day. Now, sometimes I know that, that death is something even within the church that, you know, eh, we're not looking forward to the process. But I certainly am looking forward to the door to walk through it because I will be in all of God's glory. And I pray that there would be rejoicing and celebrating. Not because I'm gone, but <laughs> because I'm in, the, in God's presence. I do fear God, though. I do fear God and I desire what He desires as imperfect as that is, I do desire what he desires. And that is, along with other things, that Satan would have no power over me. 
inch. I would not give them an inch. In Christ, remember that we are more than conquerors. In Christ, we are, we are to live victoriously, to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. But, just, but Jesus continued to speak to the Pharisees, warning them of the ultimate sin that, w- that will not be forgiven, is what he was warning them of, a division that he does not desire because it is ultimately eternal. Verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. And Jesus was warning the Pharisees against it. Don't go there. He, he could, if he could see their hearts and the intents of their hearts, read their thoughts and know what they were thinking. Do you not think that Jesus knew that that was the direction in which they were going in? Absolutely, right? The Spirit knows. God knows. Jesus is God. And therefore, he knew. He knew. Hey, listen, this is the direction that you're going in. Don't go there. Don't go there. Jesus made it abundantly clear to the Pharisees who were speaking against him that they could reject. You can reject me. But there was another work that they should not ignore and harden their hearts against. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Not his work. You may, like me face to face right here, you can reject me. Don't, but don't, don't close your hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because that's when you're done. Jesus made it abundantly clear that there was no middle ground. Number one, a person is either for Jesus or against him. There is no such thing as a middle ground or as a fence upon which, which we can sit. There, there's, there's no such thing. Kind of for Jesus. Not all of Jesus, but mostly, maybe... Some of his teachings, not all of his teachings. No, he made it very clear. You're either all in or all out. There, there's, no, there's nothing in the middle. There's nothing there. Jesus did not make provision for that in a person's heart. A person is either surrendered and believes or remains hardened toward Jesus and his offer of eternal life and rejects him. And the evidence is whether you are actively serving with him or not. I I don't, I really personally do not know how it is that a person can come and be able to rejoice in salvation by grace through faith and then not, like not serve him, not, not work with him in those things which he has commanded. These are some of the things that for us, we, we need to take to heart. I think there are too many people, and I want to be very straight with you. I think there are too many people that think they are saved when they are not. And I say this because you may have said something on a specific day in a specific moment, but there's no evidence of it in your life. There's no desire of blessing and honoring God. But there is a desire in your heart. 
to fulfill the flesh. The desires of your own heart that are selfish. All of those things. So I say that to you with love because God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God knows that the person who repents of their sin and turns to Christ will then lead to a life that is fruitful in the Lord, that is evidenced by those things that they now desire to live out in response to the love that God has demonstrated to them. And now they know personally. If you're not serving with him in his will, according to the word of God, then you you are elsewhere. That's not what I said. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Secondly, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable, is where he went, where Jesus went. Ultimately, the rejection of Jesus is the rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the main ministry of the Holy Spirit is the des- to testify of Jesus Christ. According to Matthew 15, verse 26. Considering what the Pharisees were doing up to this point, was Jesus, uh, Jesus was warning them that they were doing that very thing that I explained earlier, that they were moving toward the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. So the Holy Spirit points to Jesus and reveals to a person that Jesus is the Son of God, and he died for you. And was resurrected on the third day. And if we continually reject that, then essentially we're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. And the truth is not in us. We have an example of this taking shape in the lives of the Pharisees as they confront Jesus. This whole scenario is for us an illustration. And they make these accusations that are false. They they don't, don't really... In their own words, Jesus pointed out that they're not, they're not even making sense. Without thinking, people use the same, they use the name of the Lord in vain. They do things that are just kind of flippant. They don't, uh, they really aren't understanding of the sovereignty of God and who he is in their lives. And without thinking, many people use the name of the Lord in vain and even curse at him and shake a fist at him. And it's because they really don't believe that God is real or else they wouldn't utter such things. It's evidence of a hardened heart. You know who's a great example of that is Pharaoh. Pharaoh did that, just that. He would say one thing and then change his mind and say, no, I'm not going to let you do that. He, he denied the, the Israelites to go and to worship and serve their God, sacrifice to him evidence of a hardened heart but when the holy spirit is revealed uh, is revealing to a person who jesus is in that he has come into their life for the person that is the time in which you have a choice to make i remember when when i came to that place to where and trust me it wasn't like i was prepared like oh i was living such a good life that i came to that place to where uh, when I, I was truly, I mean, it was expected for me to receive Jesus Christ. I mean, 
I was attending church all the time and I was listening to messages. And, and you know, the Lord was really preparing me in that way. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But I could tell you it was just that moment where, when the Holy Spirit revealed to me who Jesus truly was. You see, I had grown up in uh, the Catholic Church, and it was revealed to me as far as uh, religiously, ritualistically, you know, who Jesus was. And, but, but in addition to that, um, elevating Mary and praying to the saints that were dead and so on and so forth, those things, by the way, look them up yourself. It's unbiblical. It's, it's not there. It, it's stuff that is are man-made, right? That's how I grew up. But there was a moment for me when the Holy Spirit revealed to me who Jesus truly was. He is the name above all names. He is the one to, who, uh, to whom we go to for salvation, and in him we can find it that I had a choice to make. I either reject whom he is testifying of or I receive. I either reject or I receive. Personally, I, I knew that I needed forgiveness of my sins. I understood that my sins separated me from the Father. I finally understood. I, it was like I, I couldn't do anything good enough to earn entrance into heaven. I finally got it. And so you're offering me God's salvation by grace through faith. I just have to believe in Jesus Christ, who he is, that he died for my sins, was buried, and on the third day rose from the grave? Yes. Receive him as your Lord. And my sins are forgiven? That's who the Holy Spirit was testifying of. And I had a choice. Do I receive him or do I reject him? I am so glad I received him. I do not regret a moment. That moment and, and any time after that. The only things I reject or, or I, I look back to and, and I have regret over is denying him when he was trying to warn me of certain things. The things that I look back to and I regret is at any point bringing him shame. Those are the things I regret. I remember there was a time in my life to where I was backslidden. I was backslidden, and, and I knew it. But that's it. It's either receiving or rejecting. If we continue to reject the work of the Holy Spirit, then we're in danger of the unforgivable sin. If you are fearful that you have committed the unpardonable sin, then I don't think you've committed it. The reason I say that is because you wouldn't be sorrowful in speaking against the Lord. You, you would be indifferent. Like, I can take it or leave it. I can say or do whatever. You can tell me whatever you want about Jesus Christ, and I could really care less. I, at that point, I would be concerned. Because your heart is so hardened toward Jesus Christ that you don't really care. That it doesn't mean anything to speak against him or speak for him. You truly do speak out of both sides of your mouth. It's like in one breath you're saying certain things that are nice about him. And in the next breath you're speaking 
damnation. I would encourage you, instead of worrying about it, for those of you who may be concerned about it, I would encourage you to confess your sins to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness. He says that if we confess our sins, we are, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins to Him, 1 John 1, 9. Ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and then live your life to bless and glorify Him. Quit fighting Him. He desires to give you eternal life, a life of hope and the understanding that that hope leads to eternal glory in His presence. And lastly, your words speak for your heart. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Pay attention, once again, to something else. Not only how you serve, but the words that are coming out of your mouth. That is the fruit of your mouth. What is it? The words you speak. When you're squeezed for a response to a situation, what do you say? Pay attention to those words. How do you respond? How do you say it too? What really is your intention? You see, Jesus minces no words. You brood of vipers? Do you need a translation? Come on, right? I mean, we can break that down. A viper. No translation needed, right? He doesn't hold anything back. He, he speaks very clearly, very directly. He rebukes the Pharisees at this point, and he's calling them to make a decision. He's pointing out, this is where you stand right now. You're... You're in danger of committing the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you where you stand, you brood of vipers. Any questions? Listen, from there, consider really your works and who you are serving. Consider the words that you speak and the intents of the heart. Consider those things. He's calling them to make a decision, good or bad. You decide. You're either for me or against me. You are either receiving what the Spirit is testifying of or rejecting what the Spirit is testifying of, me. Jesus is telling them that speaking out of both sides of their mouths is actually revealing what is in their hearts. And speaking against Jesus is an evil treasure that is in their hearts that is bringing forth evil. Just consider the words that you've spoken up to this point or even thought. He had previously had an exchange with the Pharisees. He corrected their way of thinking, of viewing the Sabbath and some of those things. You are viewing it incorrectly. And then he comes to this point. Even your thoughts are not right. Outwardly, religiously, socially... These Pharisees looked like they were the good guys. 
But if they rejected Jesus Christ, then they were actually quite the opposite. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam and Eastern religions, world religions all around actually rejected Jesus of the Bible. They determined Jesus to be the brother of Lucifer, which would make him a created being and not God. Or Michael, the archangel and a God, but not really God or one of many gods or even a prophet and not God. All those are no, no, you're getting it all wrong. He is not the brother of Michael, the archangel. No, he is, or, or he is Michael, the, 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 the archangel. He's not the brother of Lucifer. He's not one of many gods. There is no one besides him. To reject Jesus as the Son of God and God the Son, who died for our sins, rose from the grave, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and will come again, is to reject salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can refer to the section of Scripture to point out that the words that are spoken tells us of where we are in regards to just about anything. A marriage, a friendship, a career, our goals or lack of, school, etc. All kinds of other things. But Jesus wasn't trying to help them improve their lives on earth. He wasn't trying to do that. He was trying to point them to salvation. That was his whole point here. He wasn't saying, hey, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And and what you've said in regards to your relationship with your friend is really horrible. Like That really doesn't matter if you're not right with the Father. It really doesn't. But once you're right with him... Trust me, those other things you will be much more sensitive to. You will want to honor the Lord. No, his whole point here was to point to salvation. It was to improve or completely heal their lives eternally before the Father. The words the Pharisees were speaking regarding these things, the things of God were seemingly good and right before the people. They all thought that this was good, but the rejection of Jesus actually revealed hearts that were condemned and undesiring of really true reconciliation with the Father. They could never earn their way there. They could never keep the law enough to get to that place of spending eternity with with the Lord. So Jesus was warning them about the words they were speaking. Consider the words that you are speaking. Because one day that he was telling them they would give an account of them to the Lord. And they will either be justified by their words or they will be condemned by their words. So again, let's let's look at the heart of the Lord here. He he wasn't desiring it. It wasn't like Jesus was grandstanding here. He's like, check this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna put these Pharisees in their place. I'm going to tell them what, what, what really, what, what's up here. Okay. I'm God. I know all things. And so sit tight, disciples. He's not doing that. Sometimes we can do that. We ought not do that. But why is it that Jesus was speaking these things to the Pharisees? There were those who were watching, who were listening. But do you not, do you not think that the Lord desired that those Pharisees would come to the knowledge of who Jesus was 
He was. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's with that perspective that we conclude this morning's message. Ultimately, Jesus was extending an invitation to them for them to come to him and find rest. They were laboring in religiosity, trying to earn God's favor by keeping the law. That's where they were. They were heavy laden with the burdens of laws, rules, and continually making them increasingly complex. 613, to be precise. Imagine that. And Jesus is telling them, stop. Just just stop. One can't confess Jesus genuinely and not be saved, or else Jesus would be wrong in saying that by your words you will be justified, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. He wouldn't have said those things. That's why when salvation is offered, and it's like, well, what do I need to do? How much money should I give? To whom should I be good toward? It's like, no, none of those things. You can't demonstrate any of those works enough to earn your way into heaven. It's just confessing Jesus. But knowing it genuinely in your heart. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And this aligns with what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Have you confessed? Have you cried out to the Lord and just asked, I I believe in who you are. I receive salvation by grace. Thank you for forgiving me. Fill me with your spirit. I am yours. I desire to do all that glorifies you. I rest in you. There's no longer burden. Slip that yoke upon me and let me go to work with you. That's, by the way, that's what we saw back in Matthew chapter 11. At the end of chapter 11, it says his yoke is easy. It's form-fitting. Tell him, hey, put that yoke on me. Let's go in the same direction. Let's plow the same ground. Because Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus asks this morning, because his word is is living, and it's alive this morning in this place, are you for me or are you against me? Have you considered the fruits of your life and the fruit of your mouth. What do they reflect? Are you in Christ? Do you know salvation? And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I don't do this all the time. You know, I I always um, give the the gospel. Stephen, come on up. Um, Charlie, are you here? Randy, come on up. I'm also going to ask Darcy and Bettina if you could come up. 
I, I don't do this often. Charlene, come on up. Um, but just, just a moment. I'm going to pray for you. And I always tell you, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, asking him for forgiveness, then you can do that at any moment. But it's one of those things to where the Lord has placed it upon my heart to ask for a response. Because the Lord says, if you confess me before men, people, I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father who's in heaven. So this is the safest place that you can stand to your feet, come forward, and just say, you know what? I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am forgiven by grace through faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for me. And he rose from the grave three days later and is coming back for the church. He's coming back for me. And one day I will see him in all his glory. If, if you're there at that place to where you have received forgiveness, then I would encourage you, stand to your feet in this last moment. Come forward, allow us to pray with you and to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Allow us to come alongside you and raise you up, so to speak, in the Lord and, and show you what it is to walk with him and to bless him. Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then for anyone who would like to come up or even make a recommitment to the Lord, now's the time. Stand to your feet, come forward, and confess him before, before others and before